when you confront death at age 22, everything changes. It got me thinking about what I wanted to do before I actually die, because life is unpredictable. Can you relate? I'm Kiki Kelly, and this is my story. My friend Amy Hallberg thought I should share some of my stories with you. She'll be joining me here. Some are hard, some are funny, and some are just unbelievable. But they're all true. So here we are. Season 1, Episode 7. Tales from an Inadvertent Bucket List Champ. Dun, 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 dun. It's the season finale! <laughs> Can you believe we've done this? No! It's, <laughs> it's just bizarre. We spend all these... We spend, we spend hours in tiny little rooms just talking to a microphone. That's so weird. So this is the <laughs> episode about your first glimpse at a bucket list. Not for yourself yet more for your students and so we're going to talk about that and how you it was your first I think real immersion experience but far from the last yeah it was the beginning of of what I would do for the next you know 20 30 years without knowing it and all the important things I have done in my life have started out doing it for someone else. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a life of... It's funny that we get to the end. Uh, it takes an entire season to get to the title, to the bucket list. Right? <laughs> the bucket list, which is basically a life of cultural diplomacy, going out and discovering it for yourself and then sharing it with the world. Yeah, I guess. I I mean, I just thought of it as, as dreaming big, and that started with my students and not, for sure not me. So let's get to it. Yeah. You're with your students. You're going to build a life there. We're in, we're in year three of Teach for America, which... Right. Okay, most people drop out of Teach for America for sure in the first year, right? And, and at the... I, I don't know how it is now, but at the time it was... I think you got 15% of your school loans canceled the first year because most people dropped out. So the second year you got 50% of your school loans canceled because most people don't do the entire and you you commit to two years well if you stay a third year it's a hundred percent and <laughs> we all know i'd always plan on the three years because i wanted my school loans gone you didn't have money for the school loans right exactly so that's the bottom line but but also i fell in love with the students i mean i'd already been told i would have no children and here are you know like 150 children did we talk about that, the things your doctor said you would never do? I don't think so. What were... Okay, so okay, just so to you, remind... Remember the whole premises of this was you almost died, mm-hmm. and so you started this bucket list. What were the things your doctor said you were never going to do? Yeah, number one was I was not going to have children. I just wasn't. I had way too much scar tissue. I mean, I can't even give blood. <laughs> like, right, so how are you going to carry a pregnancy? Yeah, so, right, so okay. no children. So no children. I was not going to be traveling to anything but first world countries. <laughs> <laughs> Foreshadowing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. I was not going to be able to wear a bikini. You've done that? 
Oh, yeah. In the early <laughs> days, that was one of the first things I did. Are you kidding? I was like, scars? What scars? Who cares? <laughs> um, gosh, I was never going to be able to, to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, which was crazy, right? I was just like, yeah. are you kidding me? I have to eat white foods and meat for the rest of my life? Oh, my gosh. <gasps> oh, I know. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's a big one. That's a big one. Um, I mean, the not having a kid is, is big too, but in oh, a very different way. Yeah. Oh yeah. My gosh. Okay. Yeah. It's huge. I mean, yeah, it doesn't seem as real when you're in your early twenties, like not having kids doesn't, it's, it's not like, it's not as real. Mm. It, it was when I was in my thirties and I was like, Oh my God, I want kids so bad. But, but the not wearing a bikini was real. The not eating, um, <laughs> not eating green, food like, like, green foods was real. Oh gosh. What else do they say I couldn't do? Yeah, I guess I think the other thing was that I could never be without, I was going to be in and out of the hospital basically. I mean, I just would be because of dehydration or infections or, you know, because they weren't sure if I... So medical intervention is going to be now a right. regular so, normalized part of your life. So you may as well stay as close to a hospital as you can. <laughs> Got <laughs> like, it. Right? Maybe you should just move in next door to a hospital. <laughs> like, <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I'm the girl with five medical teams assigned to me. Like, who knows what's going to happen? And, you know, that third year for Teach for America, you did land in the hospital. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that I didn't sooner, honestly, because I was working my butt off. I mean, my weekends were the times to grade papers and tests and to do lesson plans and completely just overwhelming. I mean, barely time to do any laundry or... That's the life of a teacher. I mean, a new it, teacher, it just, but that's the life of a teacher. I don't think people realize that it re- Yeah, you work hard. I know. But teachers work all the time. All the time. Yeah, and you're constantly going out and getting supplies for your classroom out of your own money that you don't have. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, by my third year, I mean, plus it's North Carolina. I mean, come on, it's super hot, and I don't have a colon, and dehydration was already a very big possibility. And so by my third year, I just got really worn down and really dehydrated and really dizzy and was hospitalized. And that was surprising to you, you said, because... So I can't say for certain that Teach for America teachers didn't show up. I, I don't remember any. What I do remember is that the local teachers, the local teachers showed up. They showed up in spades. They brought gifts. I was so touched because I felt, oh my gosh, by my third year, like I'm really a part of this staff. And I knew I was going to accept tenure. Yeah, you were making plans to stay there. For sure. Yeah. That was it. That was my job. I you mean, I don't really... You the husband. I'm not, a, I'm not a really big person on change anyway. <laughs> um, I'd been dating a guy for three years who was a fellow teacher, and um, his family was so lovely. So when I would visit him in Rocky Mount, um, I would stay at his parents' house in their, like, one of their daughter's rooms, and they had, they always had, like, a place for me at, at breakfast, and I went to church with them, and yeah, it was just... You know, it would have been an easy, pretty typical life, right? I mean, I'm what am I, 26 at the time, right? I mean, that would have been about the right age to to get married and make a life in North Carolina and be a school teacher. I mean, that would have been great. Have all your kids right there. 
Yeah. And you had those kids. I mean, so you've talked about how the bucket list was for the kids first, and you first were talking to them about dreaming big. So they gave you this class called (laughs) Success 101. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Talk about, like, so normally teachers at least get to specialize, and they, they, they do one class. They've got a syllabus. They stick with it. They do it really well. My first year was like world literature and, you know, truly straight off English. You know, we're going to teach you irony and alliteration and da 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 You taught Romeo and Juliet. Yes. The I, thing that everybody all has to take. Romeo one, and Juliet. The one Shakespeare play. Yes, of <laughs> course. And Cyrano de Bergerac, which I, you know, it was, yeah, it was typical. And then my second year, they changed me to composition and, of course, that was the one that, that got all the test scores. Yep. And then so my third year, you'd think that they would either keep me in world literature and or composition. <laughs> Instead, they give me drama because there's a brand new theater or whatever. They give me drama. They give me college preparatory English. So that was, you know, like instead of a zero to 21st percentile. But just because the principal, I don't know if it was the principal or whatever, but they came up with a class called Success 101. And in it were the kids who were the equivalent of the zero to 21st percentile, but maybe were more behavioral problems. So I'm taking seriously as a teacher. I get good test scores. But you're going to also still take those kids that no one else wants. wants to teach. Exactly. I'm like, success 101. And they're like, yeah, you know, you're just going to come up with your own curriculum, your own syllabus. Oh, just do off the top of your head. head. You know, <laughs> in your free time. I'm like, okay, <laughs> yep, uh-huh, all right. Actually, it's, you know, so for my college prep English class, by this time, honestly, listen, there were, there were no resources. You ran out of copy. You, you could couldn't make copies in the office after the first week. They ran out of their copy budget, right? I had figured out that I could do whatever I wanted. So I chose to look at it in a positive way instead of a, oh, this is so stupid, right? You know, like, it was like, hey, I can do whatever I want. So (laughs) with those kids who actually, if you put your time in, are going to appreciate you because you actually show up for them. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even think that because I was, of course, I was there, and they knew it. They could smell it. I was there. I was planning to stay there. Yeah. This is my third year. I'm not going anywhere. So what did you do in Success 101? What what did you do in Success 101? Okay, so, yeah, let's start with the hard class. So I'm like, well, I want to find, I just want to gauge like what my kids dreams are. Like, hey, what are my students' dreams? And, you know, they're doing a little essay on that. And it was so depressing. I couldn't believe it. The the biggest aims were, well, you know, maybe I'll be a trucker. Not that there's anything wrong with trucking either. It's just that this was supposed to be like, what are your greatest dreams? This is not like, you know, what do you think your life is really going to be? It wasn't a reality question. It was a dream big, you know, like reach for the stars. The other one was, you know, maybe I'll have a double wide trailer. I mean, that was literally what I kept reading. And uh, I was just like, what about places you want to visit? And the kids were like, well, you know, I haven't really been out of the county. And and then here's Washington, D.C., like less than three hours away. 
So that's when that kind of got in my head, like, you know, I'm going to at least take these kids to DC. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I just, it was in the back of my head. And then I was like, you know what? No, this is going to turn into the very first like big lesson is going to turn into you are going to plan a trip. I'm going to teach you because I get it. I get it. I had to be taught how to call long distance and how to do a college application by my best friend and her family. Anyway, I'm like, okay, so let's teach that. And so I'm like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna plan a trip. And in those days, of course, you don't have phones in your pockets, and you have to go to the library to go to the to yeah. Use the the internet was very very new. Chupacabra was like really big at the time. <laughs> Oh, it's going to on the X-Files? <laughs> yes, totally, right? So, so I'm like, okay, you know, you have to call these numbers. You have to find out travel agents. You need to call for brochures. You need to find out as much as you can about the place you're going to go to. And, and I'm going to give you a budget. And, like, based on this budget that I give you, you know, where are you going to go and what are you going to do? And you give me an itinerary and whatever. So... That's the kind of stuff we did in Success 101. And and also other basic life skills. I, I just realized these kids, like even if they don't use it, I want to make sure that they have a resume, you mm-hmm. know, and know what that's like. What is business writing like? How do you write a letter of complaint? How do you complain about, you know, like how do you have the power to be an active consumer or a good in citizen? In a way that you are actually heard Exactly. get some results. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So um, that's the kind of stuff we did in Success 101. <laughs> and then you mentioned there's a trip. That wasn't Success 101, right? Like eventually that, that moved to a different group of kids, but you took kids on a trip to D.C.? Yeah. Well, so um, after the test scores of year two, I had major street cred with the um, superintendent's office, so much so that they had me teach the teachers and represent my school district, blah, blah, blah. So um, there was one particular superintendent who, he was just so supportive. And I I can't tell you, I don't know why, but when I told him my idea about taking kids to Washington, D.C., he was just, he was on it. He got us this big, shiny bus you know, we were able to go to Union Station and to the Washington, D.C. Shakespeare Folger Library and to go see a Shakespeare play. And these kids were prepared to actually understand Shakespeare? Oh, sure. These kids were. Okay, so yeah, this, because, this was my college prep yeah. group. And um, I had already taught them Dante's Inferno and Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. Because. I was like, why not, right? Shoot for the moon. Yeah, so Dante's Inferno and Raisin yes. in the Sun, you told me earlier, right? Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. So because, you know, we were we had this new theater and everything, and so we got it. You know, that was for drama. For drama, we did A Raisin in the Sun. For the college prep group, I had them, I had teams, and they did dioramas of every level of hell. <laughs> of the level of hell. They were amazing. Okay, okay, so I don't know if you know Dante's Inferno, but um, so at the very top of hell are the kind of the more venal sins, you know, like the carnal things. And so sex. Yeah, and the site, and so like the first level of hell is just for people who don't believe, and they're you know the poets and the all the pagans and stuff. But the second level of hell, which we started with, because we're like, Psh, 
skip the first level. So the second level is like the, the lovers being like whipped around this eternal circle with this, uh, I don't even know. It was, it was windy. So, <laughs> so, so, so my kids that did that level, level two, it was amazing. They had like Barbies that were whipping around. They had a, a little fan attached. I mean, seriously, like it was it was amazing. What were the Barbies wearing? <laughs> nothing. Oh my Absolutely God. nothing. And this is how you get sex in an appropriate way into a school classroom. Well, you know, it's Barbie. <laughs> it's come on, it's Dante's Inferno. Awesome. I wish I, I wish I had had a camera back then. And then I had taken pictures of these things because, you know, I yeah. wish I could, you know, it's just, I, I can remember that. It them, was a different time. Yeah. So you get these kids to Washington, D.C. to yeah. hold your so, library. So the fellow teacher who's my boyfriend and for whom I had been the statistician for JV basketball while he was the coach. So we all knew all the kids and everything and everyone knew. They called us Superman and Lois Lane because... <laughs> A little bit, like Lois Lane. Oh a little my God. bit. Well, I did a lot more then. Anyway, you got the dark hair, the pale skin, and he's like six five, or yeah, six five. Wow. So I mean, he did look like Superman. Anyway, we just became a normal. Like no one even blinked an eye that we would like come to school together and leave school together, and pretty much everyone assumed we would get married. So he he comes along as the chaperone, and we've got these kids who are super excited. The thing we didn't realize what they were super excited about was the Union Station. Union Station. Yeah, because they had heard that there's shopping there, and so they were thinking, oh, shopping mall. And, like, there's no shopping malls in that area at all, period. So that turned out to be the biggest disappointment because no one could afford anything. It was, like, the super expensive stores, and and that was sad. But... The tour of the Shakespeare Folger Library and the play was a huge hit. Also, what I discovered was a lot of kids didn't have money for lunch. And so my boyfriend and I bought burgers and things quietly for the kids who didn't have it. We just, you know, there are so many... When you so many obstacles we don't even think yes, about. Yes, exactly, exactly. And even and I should have known better. I had been in that situation. Yeah, but before. you hadn't led the tour before, right? right? Right. I hadn't been the one in charge. And so yeah, we've got this bus driver, this great bus. We're going on this huge trip to Washington D.C. And these kids haven't even been out of the county. And so what was the play? <laughs> yeah, which is crazy that I couldn't remember it yesterday because yeah, you and I were talking, and I'm like, Kiki, what's the well, play? Here's the. Thing. I mean, I was an English major, and Shakespeare was probably my best class. And my first year of teaching, I taught the very first thing I taught was Romeo and Juliet, right? Right. So why, why, why was that eluding me? I don't know. But the play. So we we go back online because now there's the Google, right? And um, and find out what was playing at the Folger Library, and of course, in 1997. And it was Romeo and Juliet. And the crazy thing was the poster for it. Yeah, that image. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so so there's two sets of feet in a morgue that are tagged. Yeah. And they're blood red, and it's black background. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> because isn't that foreshadowing? Uh-huh. 
I'm like, oh, is that why I had a block about the play? I mean, the kids all knew the story. They loved seeing the play. They loved the Shakespeare library. So it was overall, it's overall a success. It was a little overwhelming, I think, the whole experience. But that was foreshadowing for what was going to happen in my third year. So just talk a moment about Romeo and Juliet. What elements of Romeo and Juliet are you talking here? What about it? So it, you know, the funny thing is, when I was teaching it for ninth grade English, irony was a, a really important thing, uh, important concept to teach, right? And Romeo and Juliet is the best example of dramatic irony you can get, which is, you know, all of these assumptions, nothing had to happen that way, and yet... Yeah, there's these perfect lovers that cannot be together because of stupid assumptions. But, and yet, and yet, they they had their way out. They had the friar who was going to help save them. And it's only because of a lack of communication, I think. I don't know. (laughs) know, More planning. I mean, something, right? (laughs) Romeo and Juliet, a lack of communication, modern love story. Um, (laughs) So... The internet was down. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, so, um, yeah. So let's just skip to the big, let's just skip to the big cheese, okay? Yeah, what happened? All right, so it's the end of the school year. I am 100% going to sign on. I was being offered tenure. I was going to stay at that school. I was most likely going to marry that guy. North Carolina is going to be my home. And my accent had even changed enough for me to pass. <laughs> Mountain. <laughs> so, talked a little slower. Anyway, anywho. Yeah, so I'm in my, um, I have my, my first hour was, it was just homeroom. And my homeroom kids are not my normal kids. But I had the kid that I had talked about for the other two years, the one who ran through the school, who had passed the exam and who was really excited. and The one who said, I'm not going to live to 22, and you were like, yeah, I bet you will. Exactly. So that kid's cousin was in my homeroom. So my homeroom basically went from first period to second period to another fellow Teach for America teacher's English classroom. I went up to the office to do my planning, is my planning period. And we hear over the intercom screams for help. And it is, there's just nothing that can, can prepare you for something like that. You know, and, and knowing, I mean, of course, at the moment, I didn't really know what was happening. What happened was the teacher stepped out of the classroom probably to just, you know, put the attendance in the, little whatever thing that is <laughs> okay. this is still so traumatic um oh my god the receptacle so in a, just a short short period of time one student calls the other student gay and um and that student the the cousin grabs the teacher scissors off the desk and stabs him four times in the chest and of, you know, I'm not sure exactly what happened in the English building, except that my fellow teachers were trying to break it up and they had blood on them and were screaming for help over the intercom. And I start 
I go through the first double plate glass door of the office. There's two, right? There's one and there's like this little hallway and then there's another one to go down to the English building. Although, you know, what am I going to do? But uh, you, you just, you just, you go you, towards it and figure out uh, what you can do. That's what you do as a teacher. Well, and these are my fellow teachers and these are, yeah, English students. So, I mean, uh, it's like, these are people, you know, and you just can't believe it's happening. Yeah. So apparently the kid who got stabbed, um, has a huge burst of adrenaline and chases the stabber. Who's the cousin of my kid up to the office. Like the stabber is clearly going for safety in the office, right? Instead he gets thrown through the double plate glass outer door and lands at my feet. Somehow I'm going out as he's being thrown in. He lands there and there's glass sticking out of his head. I don't even recognize him, even though I've just seen him the hour before. And he's yelling for his mama and there's blood everywhere. And I get sprayed with blood and that happened. (laughs) That happened. Honestly, I don't remember the rest of even that day. Those are the moments as teachers that you never want to have. And you, you, you never forget and you forget everything. Both. They stay with you. It's weird the stuff that stays with you. It was the glass in the head and not recognizing his face that surprised me. And and then, I, you know, the, he lived. Yay. They, they both lived. Good. They both lived. Which We're, is not all, which is such an uncommon outcome. Well, if it had, really. if guns had been involved, they would not have lived. And right. probably other people would have been harmed as well. But right. in this case, they both lived. They were both suspended. And this is what, end of the school year? End of the school year. Everyone is kind of in shock and just goes about, you know, doing the end of your stuff. Well, the second week goes by. We, like, I think the first week we were told that we were going to get hepatitis B shots just to be on the safe side, anyone who was touched with the blood. And I then I expect that they'll get their crap together and, you know, have counselors come in to talk to the teachers and the students and anyone who was involved in this or anyone who saw because it's so traumatic, right? But instead, nothing happens. It's just like, we don't talk about it, and it's yet it's there. It's just this. So I'm driving home from school in the second week, and I start crying, and I can't stop. And this has never happened to me before. I just literally bawling my eyes out, cannot see, pull over my car, and for the first time, I mean, I've gone this way a million times, and there's there's trees and stuff, but but for whatever reason from the side of the road view, I look up out of my veil of tears and I see whatever county mental health center. And it's like, whoa, (laughs) like clearly I'm meant to be there. Right. So, so I drive my car into the driveway and, um, walk in and I don't know about the rest of the country, but in rural North Carolina, if you've got a teacher woman, 
teacher lady who cannot stop crying. And I, it didn't even matter that I was in the, I think I was in the wrong county for it even. Like, it, I wasn't covered there. But whatever. They, they were like, this woman needs help right now. So they sent me into, uh, God, I probably waited like five minutes. I don't think I even filled out any paperwork. They were just like, she's got to be seen. So I go into the office of what's called a social worker three. And I'd never heard of that before. It's not a psychologist, not a, you know, it's not a psychiatrist. It's not even a social worker. I assume that this is, I think a social worker three is someone who's trained to work with traumatized people. Probably. Um, still not sure, but anyway, (laughs) his name is Carlton. I was born in Carlton County. I went to Carlton College, and his name is Carlton. And I'm just like, I'm where I'm supposed to be. This is this is meant to be. Mm. I think I only had three sessions with him, but wow, talk about important. He spoke with authority. I felt so comfortable with him. He introduced me to Gestalt Psychology by Fritz Perls, which eventually led me to Carl Jung, and that is part that's of... That's a huge part of your life That's a huge part forward. of my life later. Yeah. But so the, this one guy tells me authoritatively, you have made your impact. You cannot save all these kids. It's not your job. You recent, you know, you were too recently close to death. You need to go home. And uh, I hadn't even thought of that. It wasn't. I hadn't thought of that. And just having someone in authority really listen to you and say, "You've done what you're supposed to do. You don't need to put yourself close to death. You've." You've done a good job. You stayed three years. You've made huge progress with these kids, but but you need to move on and take care of yourself. You need to put your own oxygen mask on first. So when he pronounced that, there was a, this huge relief, just huge relief that flooded me. It was the right thing. And within 10 days, I had you know sold anything extraneous, cleaned up my apartment, and packed my... my <laughs> My 13 now is what, 15-year-old station wagon? My Volvo 240DL, the Kelly Mobile. Packed it full of my stuff, and I headed back home. You know, you talk about this. Those little moments where somebody touches your life, and it makes a difference. And you did that for a lot of kids. For you, meeting this man who set you on a path, and you met him, like you said, three times. You probably never see him again in your life, but he changed everything for you. I mean, that's how everything happens in my life. People hand me a book. People tell me to go do something. I realized that this part of my life was only part of the story, and the story wasn't about me. I was a player in it, but not the lead. And, you know, similar to how I no longer thought of myself as the housing project kid either. That was that was something that happened, hmm. but it wasn't. It wasn't the extent of who you were? No, it, I'm not defined by it. So uh, that was a huge realization. You know, it's really hard to walk away from from anything that you've invested that much time and energy into. But that's when I chose my life and my path for myself instead of a bucket list for my kids 
and asking them to dream bigger, it suddenly occurred to me that I should maybe dream bigger myself. Like, hey, I have a dream to be alive for a lot longer. (laughs) (laughs) So I had not dreamt big enough myself, and I had a huge bucket list to achieve. And that's when I started to do that, to really take my own bucket list seriously. And with that, you'll have to stay tuned for season two. (laughs) Kiki in Tech World. Yay! Thanks for listening. This is Amy Hallberg in partnership with Kiki Kelly. Thank you for listening to this season of Tales from a Bucket List Champ. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast and please share it with friends. We'll be back soon with Season 2, Kiki in Tech World. We hope you'll join us. Until then, what's one item on your bucket list?